Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. We are on episode number 19 of our little podcast here as we like to bring you uh, news, views and opinions on the wide and wacky world of mixed martial arts, but with a distinctly British flavour. Simon Head, Chamatkar Sandu, uh, coming to you from the other side of the pond here in the UK. Sandu, it's been, uh, it's been, a, it's been a funny old week this week. Um, how's your week been? Yeah, it's been alright Simon, not too bad. Um, the, the cold has absolutely settled in here in the UK. The, the scarf and the glove and the hat is firmly, oh, they're all out now. Um, I'm really getting into the uh, the Christmas spirit. Done some shopping on the weekend for friends and family, and uh, we're we're coming towards the end of what is or what has been another banner year in mixed martial arts, especially for for the UFC. And um, and we you know we've got a few more events to go yet. So uh, I guess we're going to be recapping uh, this past weekend's main event action, and then looking forward to not one but two UFC events this upcoming weekend. Absolutely, and I've, I've got to tell you, MMA is always a—it's always a release for me. I always, you know, it's always a, a time where you can sort of get away from the stresses of everything else that's going on. This week, probably more than most, it's been like that. Um, I, I had some great news to share earlier in the week. Uh, I'm going to be a dad again, Sandu, um, and uh, which which comes comes obviously, you know, everybody, everyone gives you loads of well wishes and all of that stuff. The downside to that is my wife is throwing up like you would not believe. It's like she's been possessed by the vomit monster. She's just <laughs> all over the place. Um, and uh, I have to, you know, whenever she starts, I start thinking, oh, blimey, am I going to start as well? You know, sort of sympathy vom. So I've managed to, I've managed to stave that off. And uh, I've had my daughter coming home all from school. My back tire blew out on my, uh, on my trusty moped today. So it's been, it's, been a, it's been a bit of a crappy week. But we've always got the fights, and uh, we had some good fights at the weekend. The tough finale uh, wasn't ever going to be a stellar fight card in terms of pulling in big numbers or huge crowds at the gate or anything like that. But as it turned out, it was it, it, you know it turned into a decent event. Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson is arguably the single biggest problem that the UFC has in terms of matchmaking. You can't find a competitive fight for the guy. He's just. He is just head and shoulders above everybody. And the UFC decided what they would do is they'd, they'd cast the net uh, across North America and, and bring in uh, a tournament's worth of uh, 125-pound fighters and put them into one tournament in a season of The Ultimate Fighter. They gave away an entire season of tough to try and find a new contender to take on DJ. And the guy they found is a guy that they cut about a year and a half previous. Uh, Tim Elliott is now back in the UFC he earned his spot in the final he took on Demetrius Johnson no one gave him a chance including me and what does he do he goes out there scares the life out of DJ in the first round or two and takes in the distance loses by decision but does himself the world of good and put on something that no one was expecting I think which was a really really good strong competitive five round fight what did you make of it Sandy? Yeah, I, I completely agree, Simon. I mean, first of all, it was one of those fight cards. I don't know if it's the winter. Um, I don't know if if it's because I had the heating on blast, and maybe it's because I'm just getting old. Um, I never I never got a chance to nap before the fight card started, which I normally do on a Saturday evening. Uh, but it was a struggle for me to stay up for the entire night. I kept drifting off into La La Land and and you know sleeping for 15, 20 minutes here and there. But I did eventually make it till I think it was five or five thirty in the morning. Uh, when the main event started, um, but I was really, really glad to do that because it was uh, 
longer be the pound for pound best fighter in the world uh, right now uh, in the UFC roster. In Demetrius Ma- Mighty Mouse Johnson, that was performing, and uh, you can't miss him in action. Uh, you need to see that guy fight live. And he put on, you know, you, like you said, Simon, he had a, he had a scare in that first round. Tim Elliott um, done, you know, uh, re- put on a really good show for himself. You know, put uh, Demetrius Johnson that guillotine choke. Transitioned into a Dars choke, and he and he almost had him. Sai, I really thought he had him. I thought, are we gonna you know, get another Matt Serra moment in the UFC? You know, a shocking moment where he might just beat Demetrius Johnson against all the odds. But credit to Johnson, weathered the storm early, and then after that, he kind of almost went into autopilot dominant champion mode, where he um, you know really took control of the fight. Um, and and I thought the the scorecard 49-46 um, was the right scorecard. There was one scorecard that's that had it 49-45, which I believe meant that the 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 judge who gave him that scorecard gave Demetrius Johnson a 10-8 round. Don't think I agree with that one, um, but unanimous decision for Demetrius Martin Mouse Johnson, and and good on him. You know, like you said, um, he's uh, you know been a problem for the UFC in terms of finding challenges, but what he's done now, Simon. He has equaled uh, George St. Pierre's record of nine, um, which is the second highest uh, title defense or the, the second most amount of title defenses in UFC history. And now he's just one away uh, from tying Anderson Silva's record of 10 title defenses, which is just incredible. And I know, you know, over the last couple of months, we've been talking about some of the, the wacky, almost bordering on pro wrestling um, elements of, of UFC storylines. And we've been begging, you know, to, to see and hear and discuss some real true meritocracy. That is the flyweight division. That is Demetrius Johnson as a flyweight champion. And uh, yeah, uh, I thought it was another stellar performance by him. He, d- he did superbly, didn't he? I thought, um, I thought Elliot gave a superb account of himself and I completely agree with you. I was watching the TV and I was, my eyes were out on stalks when he got that when he got the dars choke in. I thought, okay, he's not getting out of this. But uh, the the sort of the coolness, the calmness of uh, of Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson uh, when he was in what looked like a really really tight choke, and he even had time to give Herb Dean a thumbs up to say, "I got it. It's all cool. Don't worry. I've got this covered." And sure enough, he did. He managed to get himself out of it and went on to win the fight convincingly. The big question now is what happens with Demetrius Johnson. The mm. chances are he's going to fight the winner of uh, what was the co-main event. Uh, Joseph Benavidez uh, faced Henry Cejudo. Uh, they were the two coaches on the Ultimate Fighter uh, Tournament of Champions. Didn't really get on that well, uh, anyone, who, anyone who watched it. Um, I've got to admit, I didn't watch all of it, but I saw enough to know that those two were rubbing each other up the wrong way pretty much all the way through. Uh, and it was a fantastic fight. It was for me. It was one of the best, one of the better fights we've seen this year. It was all action. The pace they kept was just astonishing. Um, it was a three-round fight, um, and it was one of those fights where, when it got to the end, you, it, it did leave you wanting more. You wanted those extra two rounds because um, it would have taken what was already a really good fight into something even better. I think, but. Um, it was a close fight to watch. Uh, I wasn't wasn't watching it as closely as I needed to to score it accurately. Um, Benavidez took it on a split decision. Uh, the big deciding factor in the fight uh, came when Henry Cejudo was um, given a point deduction for two groin kicks in the space of about a minute and a half. 
neither of which looked like they were particularly deliberate. Uh, they were both unfortunate. He was thrown an inside leg kick and, and Benavidez kind of walked onto them both. Uh, looked a little harsh to me. And without that point deduction, Henry Cejudo would have won that fight. So a um, little bit of controversy there, but they were really, really closely matched. I'd love to see that fight again one day. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Simon. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, great, great fight. I'm sure they'll you know, dance again uh, sometime in the future. Uh, and I think you're bang on the money. I agree with you. Joseph Benavidez, I think he's done enough now. Again, going back to what we've discussed for, for weeks on end now, Simon, meritocracy. This guy, he's lost to Demetrius Johnson twice. However, he's now won six fights in a row. You know, I mean, what more do you have to do to kind of Earn, your, earn yourself a title shot and you claw, claw your way back. You know, you get to the back of the line, you start to climb that ladder again. And I think he's in a position now where I think he's justifiably um, should be given a title shot. Now, if I'm the UFC, if I'm Demetrius Johnson, I, I say you roll with this whole idea of um, not just tying Anderson Silva's record, but breaking it. You know, that would be an amazing legacy for him to leave behind. And I think then if he can get two more title defenses under his belt at flyweight, then I think it's time for for you to do a champion versus champion um, super fight where you take him uh, and you place him against whoever at that moment in time is the bantamweight champion. He's fought a bantamweight before. He's obviously, um, you know, got a, a much higher level of a skill set than, uh, you know, five, six, seven years ago. And I'm sure he'd love to prove not only to himself, but his coach and his fans um, that he can compete with the very best um, at 135 pounds. And I'm sure he'd love to do it Conor McGregor. You know, I'm sure he'd love to raise, you know, two belts in, in, the, in, the, in the sky at the same time uh, to claim himself uh, as, as another dual simultaneous two-weight champion so um so yeah i'd love to see dj versus joseph benavidez next and also i'd like to add and i was actually thinking about it this morning and we've had this big situation with ufc 206 and i'm sure we're going to discuss it a little bit later on in the show now given when daniel cormier got injured i actually thought to myself this morning i don't know why i didn't think about it before but could they have perhaps just moved the dj tim elliott fight to the UFC 206 main event, you know, at least that way you don't have to do this whole interim featherweight title, you know, palaver and take the belt away from McGregor and, and all sorts. And at least that way you've got a title fight there. And also uh, one of the main reasons I thought that, that this would have actually benefited the fight is technically no one publicly knew who the winner of the Ultimate Fire season 24 was until I think Wednesday night. So the UFC only really had two days to tell some type of story, you know. Um, so had they perhaps moved this fight to UFC 206 this weekend, at least then you've got a week, maybe 10 days to tell a better story, promote the fight a little bit more um, and, and put these guys in, in a, in a pay-per-view slot. Um, but, you know, it's, it's all hearsay now. It's all done and dusted. Um, for Demetrius Johnson in that particular fight, um, yeah, DJ versus uh, Joe B next. I'm all I'm all for it, Si. Yeah, I think I think that's the fight that needs to happen. I think that's the fight that Demetrius Johnson wants. Uh, from the interviews that I've done with him at events in the past, um, he's been pretty consistent in in what he's always said, and he, I believe he's saying the same thing again now. He he's not that worried about super fights. He's not that worried about moving up. He wants to create a legacy and. and the legacy that he wants is to be the, the UFC champion with the most title defences. Um, 
but he's he's two fights away from standing on his own at the top of the mountain in that particular regard. So look forward to seeing how he gets on. Uh, Joe Benavidez um, went through three tough rounds with Henry Cejudo. Demetrius Johnson went the distance with Elliot. Didn't get busted up too much. So maybe we can see them both in there in the sort of the early part of 2017. And then maybe when we get to International Fight Week, uh, we might just be in a position where Demetrius Johnson could potentially uh, end up going for history uh, on the biggest fight week of the year. That would be kind of a nice stage for him to do it. Um, Absolutely. In, in and, 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 and I'm sorry to cut you off this side, but um, I think what the UFC really needs to do now is they need to put a lot of work and effort into that flyweight division. I think you, I think you can just about get away um, with selling a third fight between Demetrius Johnson and Joseph Benavides, even though Johnson's beaten Benavides twice. And after that, what, what have you what have you got left in that flyweight division, Simon? I mean, are you looking at somebody at bantamweight who can perhaps drop down to flyweight? What would you do, Simon? If the UFC right now, are you looking to scour the, the world for talent and and sign up some fighters? They certainly didn't do that with the some of the uh, cast members of, of season twenty four of the Ultimate Fighter. You know, the majority of them, pretty much all of them, didn't really get signed to a UFC contract. So what do you do? I think I think realistically, uh, you do the Joe Benavidez fight. And then you look at Demetrius moving up to 135. I think if, if if Demetrius then insists on having one more in order that he can have 11, uh, 11 uh, title defences, then maybe we look back at Henry Cejudo again, who by by that time may well have picked up another one or two wins. I don't see I don't see any real up and up and coming guys. I mean, Louis Smoker was a guy who I was I was really interested in watching. Um, he he got he got beat by Brandon Moreno who who won a split decision actually on Saturday night against Ryan Benoit in the opening fight of the main card. But yeah, Smoker was the guy who I thought had had the had the talent to push his way up there, um, and his his momentum's been derailed a little bit. So uh, maybe we'll see him come again in 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 the next twelve months or so. I think he's too good to be languishing uh, where he's in the rankings. I think he I think he's a better fighter than that. So maybe we'll see him. But realistically, it's probably going to be Henry Cejudo again. Um, we are in sort of rematch territory. Wherever you look for Demetrius Johnson, there aren't, and you know there aren't that many people coming up and coming through. And the other problem you've got is in flyweight. I think I might have touched on this last week, but in flyweight, you don't seem to get fighters who just rip through divisions and knock people out left, right, and center. It's a mm-hmm. different style of fighting almost. Um, and because of that, it's harder for these guys who are on their way up to rebuild any kind of. Uh, any kind of bars and momentum because you know these guys they're all very well matched they tend to they tend to fight into the later rounds um you know finishes are slightly less easy to come by perhaps um i don't have the official statistics on that but that's certainly the uh, that's certainly what you get from watching it um so it's 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 kind of a tough sell i think if you can stretch it to 11 Cejudo's probably the guy but realistically, I think after after equaling Anderson Silva's record, the natural move for for Demetrius Johnson is to is to jump up to one thirty five and take on whoever the champion is at the time. Stylistically, I'd love to see him fight Dominic Cruz. I think that would be that would just be uh, a purest dream in terms of in terms of uh, a mixed martial arts fight in the UFC. Uh, we had some other good fights on the card. Just very quickly, just to just to run you down the list, Jorge Masvidal. Uh, beat Jake Ellenberger. I say beat Jake Ellenberger. 
Uh, Jay Kellenberger got TKO'd by the fence. Um, he, <laughs> he, uh, he got his toe caught in the fence, and in the process of trying to uh, get his toe out of said fence, Masvidal was hitting him with strikes. Ellenberger didn't look in any massive trouble, but uh, Herb Dean went in and, and stopped the contest because Ellenberger was stuck, uh, thought that he could stop it in, 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 in a way that would allow him to restart the fight. Having consulted with uh, Mark Ratner at Octagon side, uh, it, it, it became apparent that he couldn't do that and the fight was ruled a TKO. Um, if I was Ellenberger, I'd be appealing that. I think that fight should be a no contest and we should get to see that again. That was a little bit controversial. Jared Canonier, um good performance against uh, Ion Kutalaba, who turned up at the Waynes looking like the Incredible Hulk. Um, Canonier also, uh, much to my amusement, called out John Morgan in his post-fight interview in the press conference afterwards, which was which was good because uh, John had, uh, had had backed Kutalaba to win that fight. So Canonier looked straight down the barrel of the camera and pointed and said, "In your face, John Morgan," or words to that effect. So, so that that was good fun as well. Sarah McMahon looked like a million bucks as she beat Alexis Davis by arm triangle. She really good in that fight. That might have been her best performance in the UFC. And uh, mentioned Brandon Moreno earlier, uh, winning uh, the flyweight opener. Did you see Sano? I know you said you, you you have a little nap before these events. Did you catch any of the prelims? Did you see the Ryan Hall Gray Maynard fight? I saw, I think it was the last round. I think I'd just woken up. Um, but then I, I was checking my my Twitter feed during that final third round. And I know that there was a bit of an uproar of uh, of some members of the MMA community that were a little peeved with uh, the action or maybe lack of action uh, during the fight. Um, and then go back and watch it on Sunday, uh, Sunday um, afternoon. And um, and I think one of your tweets, if I'm, if, if, uh, I'm not, you know, completely botching this, but I think you said something to the effect that um, you don't expect um, Ryan Hall to engage with uh, a striker like Gray Maynard on, the, on his feet. So why would you expect Gray Maynard to engage with Ryan Hall on the ground? And and I think this is just one of those cases, perhaps, where it's a, it's a striker versus grappler situation where they're both not willing to really fully engage uh, in each other's kind of, you know, strongest um, skill sets, which is completely understandable. Um, and uh, and sometimes something like this happens and, and it proves to be uh, a little bit lacklustre, not so pleasing in the eye. But at the end of the day, this is mixed martial arts, you know. And like you said, Simon, I think you tweet um, that if you want just out and out, um, you know, rock'em, sock'em robots... Go watch kickboxing. Go watch Glory. This is mixed martial arts, and every now and then, fights like that might happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I watched the fight. I'll be honest. I enjoyed the fight. I, I, I appreciate what what Ryan Hall has in terms of a skill set. Um, and uh, I personally, and I know there are a lot of people who would disagree with this point of view. Um, the onus was on, the, the onus was entirely on Gray Maynard in that fight. Um, Ryan Hall was out comprehensively outstruck Gray Maynard. Uh, you look at the striking statistics; um, he out outstruck him almost two to one, if not more. Um, and uh, he, he he was doing a great job on his feet, and that's that's kudos to the guys uh, at Upstate Karate. Um, Ray Thompson, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's dad, um, has been working with Ryan on, on his striking, and he's he's shown a lot of progression there, which is good to see. Without that striking, I, I would have completely understood everybody's complaints. 
But the fact that Hall was winning that fight with his striking um, really sort of renders most of the arguments kind of pointless because the onus is on Gray Maynard. If you're not going to stand there and strike, if you can't get in range to strike uh, and, and Hall ends up going to the mat every time you rush him, you're supposed to be an experienced mixed martial artist with, with you know, world championship level skills because you've been in there with the likes of Frankie Edgar. He had no, he wanted no business of Ryan Hall on the floor, even getting in top position where he had ample opportunity to do that. Um, I understand him walking away from some of those, uh, some of those leg lock attempts. That that that's just common sense. But if you if you clip the guy even just a little bit and he's on his way down, and you win most of your fights with ground and pound, and that's that you know that's your wheelhouse. You should be going after him. And uh, you you quoted my my original tweet pretty well, but in reverse. Because oh. uh, so so basically, what I said is, if uh, if if uh, if a striker isn't prepared to go to the mat with a grappler, then why should a grappler have to stand in the pocket with a striker? Um, and Hall didn't stand in the pocket; he stood just outside and uh, used his kicks superbly, and that's why he won the fight. Um, I think it is, it is as you said, it's mixed martial arts. You've got to be able to win fights in more than one way. Um, and Maynard got very frustrated very early on, and that cost him in that fight. I think if he'd have really gone for it, then we would have seen Ryan Hall tested a little bit more. But um, and I'm sure Ryan will be in his next fight. Um, I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of Ryan in terms of his in terms of the way he carries himself, in terms of the way he goes about his work in the cage. Um, but this wasn't the some people were likening it to the Fabricio Verdum Alistair Overeem fight back in Strike Force, where Verdum just every time Overeem threw a punch just went to the mat and stayed there. Um, I think it's not quite as bad as that because Hall was throwing and landing strikes consistently throughout the fight. Um, and I thought he got he got a deserved win. Um, so yeah, I, you know, it was very interesting the timeline. There was a, there was a real split down the middle. There were those that were saying, oh, I'm, abs- I'm absolutely loving this fight. This is great. Um, and other people saying, this is disgraceful. And I, I assume most of the people who are criticising it are people who prefer to see people standing and striking, which is fine. Um, but it is mixed martial arts. You know, you've got to be able to, you've got to be able to do more than just just run in and throw a few punches. So, uh, so yeah, I thought you know it was important that we just very quickly mentioned that because it was one of the bigger talking points of the night. That was the ultimate fighter finale, and uh, that wasn't really the only the only sort of headline maker in the week. Uh, we had. Possibly the longest conference call I've ever been a part of. Um, and nor- normally with these conference calls, I either stream them um, because it costs a fortune for us UK journalists to, to jump on an American conference call. Those those phone numbers aren't normally very cheap. Um, this one, the only way to get on was to get on through your phone. And it lasted for about two hours, ten minutes, all, all, all told. So I, I, I assume we've paid for... Virgin Media's Christmas party off the back of this. Um, <laughs> so, so, uh, but I stayed on for the full thing, and it, it was a very, very in, uh, interesting and revealing conference call. Uh, a, a group of uh, UFC superstars: George Saint Pierre, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, Cain Velasquez, TJ Dillashaw, and uh, probably the most vocal guy of the bunch, uh, Tim Kennedy, uh, are now part of the board of the Mixed Martial Arts Athletes Association. Uh, and ad- working with them in an advisory capacity is former Bellator CEO Bjorn Rebney. Now, that, that raised a few eyebrows, um, but I'm sure we'll talk about that in a second. But 
the basic gist of it is, you know, we've seen some of, we've seen two or three of these sorts of groups put together in the last in the last uh, year or two, Sandu, uh, and, and come to prominence. To me, from from listening to that conference call, this one looks like it's got it's got a little bit more going for it than 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 the others. We've seen we've seen the others sort of imploding in the case of the PFA. Uh, others that have been around for a bit but don't seem to really have achieved a lot in terms of the the MMA FA. Um, what do you make of it? I mean, you know, you would have you would have uh, digested quite a bit of that conference call yourself. What was your what what was your main takeaway having 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 listened to it? It's definitely the one um, association that I believe has got the biggest array of star power. Um, and not just in terms of name value, but if you start to break it down a little bit more, you've got um, Kane Velasquez representing American Kickboxing Academy. You've got Tim Kennedy and um, and uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone representing Jackson Winklejohn. You've got George St. Pierre representing TriStar. You've got TJ Dillashaw, ex-Team Alpha Male now with the with Dwayne Bang Ludwig. You've got fighters from uh, you know some of the best MMA camps in the world and if even at a starting point they can galvanize their camps and their teams to jump on board and sign up to this uh, particular association that could have a massive domino effect on the rest of the roster um, in the UFC I think it's the one that I I feel as though is is being taken most seriously Um, I don't I, I really hope we don't have any more um, start-up associations, I think we've got enough now. We've got the, the MMAFA, uh, the Mixed Martial Arts uh, Fighters Association. You've got the PFA, the Professional Fighters Association. And then you've got the MMAAA, um, the Mixed Martial Arts Athletes Association. So um, a lot of different uh, organizations out there. I think and I hope that for the fighters' sake, they can galvanize behind um one of them if it's this one great um because time is ticking simon uh this massive new tv deal um or the renewal of the u.s tv deal um which is tied into a few international markets with the uk and ireland being one of them um is due to start negotiation in 2017 and then will kick in in 2018 um so if they want to be on the t- uh, at the table uh, and they want to try and get a piece of the pie um, which could be a decade-long deal, um, then they need to act. They need to act quick. The only thing um, that I was really, really shocked and surprised by—I think everybody was—was was the inclusion of Bjorn Rebney. Now, now over the course of the last week, he has also said um, that you know he's not being paid. He's it's all out of his own pocket. But I don't know. I, I don't feel as though um, that's a good PR move. Um, by the association having him associated um, with them in any aspect whatsoever whether he's on the board or not I think he you know most members of the MMA community remember that he took Eddie Alvarez to court um, um, and essentially uh, isolated or froze his contract while these legal proceedings were going on which stopped him and prevented him from signing with the UFC at the time which obviously took away a massive t- a chunk of time out of his fighting career to earn some money. Uh, and there was this massive um, campaign. I don't know if you remember the T-shirt at the time, but it was like free Eddie and him kind of breaking through some, you know, um, handcuffs and, and chains. But um, 
But when you do something like that against Fighter, it was such a massive news story at the time. And then all of a sudden, you know, a few years later down the road, you come out of out of his, you know, self-imposed, you know, recluseness um, to say that you're now 100% pro fight and you're going to lead the charge against the UFC. I don't know. Something doesn't smell right there in terms of his motive in regards to being involved with the association. So it remains to be seen how that plays out. I mean, if he is just a, uh, you know, an advisor who they can let go um, at some point in the next few months, fine. Um, but I think of the fighters, if they want this association to be taken super seriously and really get a groundswell of support from the majority of the fighters, Bjorn Rebney's inclusion um, might be something that they need to rethink and rethink very, very soon. The interesting, the interesting uh, description of, of uh, Bjorn Rebney's involvement, I think the most interesting description came from, from Tim Kennedy, uh, and I think he said it on a couple of occasions. Um, he referred to him as a necessary evil, which, which is an interesting way to describe a human being, but you kind of get what he's saying. Um, the reason why why he thinks thinks that is because this is this is a man who has has managed and and run on a day-to-day basis one of the larger MMA promotions in the world um mm-hmm. there aren't many of those knocking around so he has the practical nuts and bolts experience of knowing what what goes into all of the negotiations in terms of the infrastructure of the business in terms of dealing with fighters and all that sort of stuff and uh from that point of view it could potentially be a very valuable asset to the uh, Mixed Martial Arts Athletes Association. Um, he's he's probably the most experienced, relevant, available guy to do the job. The fact that he did what he did, and particularly with Eddie Alvarez, obviously that's going to make people sort of stop and think twice about it. But you also have to sort of weigh that up against the fact that at the time he was representing the best interests of Bellator um, and himself because he was part owner slash CEO of, of Bellator FC, uh, sorry, Bellator MMA. So when you're, when you're in that position, you, you know, you're doing what, what you believe is the best for you and your side of the deal, even though it might seem uh, overly harsh or whatever on the other side. He, he was looking after the best interest and fighting for the best interests of Bellator at the time. Um, he's not doing that anymore. So if he can win over the likes of GSP, Tim Kennedy, Kane Velasquez, TJ Dillashaw, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, just as a starting point. Now, we understand there are other fighters who are already on board, but just haven't been, they haven't been revealed yet. Um, the fact that he's been able to win those guys over and the fact that we've got that that sort of caliber of athlete on board already, I think it I think it bodes quite well. The big question now is, what are they actually going to do? Um, they talked about they're not a union, and uh, Bjorn today has said they will eventually have to become one, um, but not right away. As things stand right now, they're just looking to mobilize mobilize the fighters in some sort of collective collective effort. And the interesting thing for me, he mentioned the labor strike, which is obviously the nightmare scenario. But the other thing that he mentioned, well, he, he referred to Tim Kennedy in particular, and he referred to what Tim Kennedy might be doing at UFC 206. And I found that very, very interesting. Um, I'm really, 
he's someone I, t- I tweeted straight away saying it'd be worth keeping an eye on what, what Tim Kennedy gets up to at UFC 206 because something is going to happen I don't know what um, my best guess would be that he's not going to wear his Reebok kit or he's going to do something to his Reebok kit um, whatever it is they're going to start making public statements now when I say public statements I don't just mean conference calls and interviews I'm thinking like gestures in front of in, in front of the camera because that's when you know the biggest the biggest statement can be made when you've got a camera on you all the fight fans are watching you uh, you can't rely on a post-fight interview you can bet that they'd be a bit wary about giving him a post-fight interview given all of this that's happening so what can he do so things like dealing uh, may you know maybe not necessarily fulfilling the terms of the Reebok deal during fight week and particularly on fight night would be one thing I would look out for but it's going to be very interesting to see what happens I think I think everybody who's listening to this and anybody who's had any dealings with you know the uh, the boys and girls who fight in the UFC you know we want to see the best for everybody involved we want we want the fighters to earn what they should be earning we want them to earn as much as possible and when they finish fighting, you want them to be well taken care of as best as possible. So, if this if this uh, association assists in making that a little bit better, then great. It sounds like we're going to go through a, uh, a fair amount of uh, butting of heads. I can't imagine uh, WMEIMG are just going to roll over and say, "Yeah, we agree with this." So, I think what we're going to see is a fair amount of posturing, a fair amount of statement making, and. Uh, I think I think this is going to be a running story uh, for for all of us in the MMA media, probably for the next two or three years, because I think it could be at least that long before we get any major movement. But it's the start of a fascinating story that I think is only going to get bigger and bigger as we go along. So it's going to be very interesting to follow it. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, Simon, the time is ticking. I think the TV deal uh, that's the one. That has the big bucks associated with it. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars spread across. Um, you know, it could, like I said, it could be a decade. Like, if they can't get things sorted out quickly, then this this current generation of fighters may not be able to see any slice of any TV revenue whatsoever, and it might be down to the next generation to do something. Uh, but that's just portion of it. There's of course the Reebok deal in USADA, um, and there's there's so many other items. Um, uh, and things that the that the UFC fighters um, currently go through that they're not happy with, um, that they can actually um, speak to UFC about if they have collective bargaining, if they can stand united um, and and put some kind of action into play. So fascinating times, fascinating times in this uh, industry of ours. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm sure the both of us will be um, keeping our ear to the ground to see how things develop in the coming weeks and months. Most definitely, most definitely. Uh, lots going on with that. It'd be interesting to see what kind of response and reaction we get from uh, the other two organisations that have already been established. And I think, I think the common sense thing would be for everybody to unite behind one. But uh, we'll see what happens. There's going to be there's going to be plenty, plenty to come on this one for sure. Let's uh, let's let's kick things on. We've got a, a double header this weekend, which is which is a bit of a rarity. Uh, but we have a double header. We have 
UFC Fight Night from Albany in, in New York. Derek the Black Beast Lewis taking on Shamil Abdurakimov. I had to practice that one before we started the show. Um, <laughs> that's the heavyweight main event. Uh, and if that isn't uh, as sort of heavy-handed and, and brutal enough for you, the co-main event is Francis Ngannou versus Anthony Hamilton. That one, I think, is going to end in tears as well. So we're going we're gonna to see plenty of knockout action on this fight card. Two light heavyweight fights on that main card as well. Corey Anderson, the man with the best or worst nickname in, in MMA, depending on your view. Beasting Beast in 25-8 taking on uh, Sean O'Connell. And John Vellante taking on Sapabek Safarov, who does not have a Wikipedia page. So make of that what you will. Only other person to mention on that card, of course, this is the Brit Pack. We must give a big shout out to a friend of the show, Mr. Mark Diacasey. Uh, had his successful debut in UFC 204 in Manchester. He looks to make it 2-0 in the UFC when he takes on Frankie Perez on the prelims. The whole event's on Fight Pass, Sandu. And after how long that event took on Saturday night, this is going to be blessed relief, right? Uh, 100%. I mean, I love the Fight Pass cards just for the pacing of them. They just they just have it's a, it's one fight after the um, and yeah, like you said, you know the the, the sole Brit on the card, Mark Diacasey, looking to make his uh, second um, appearance for the UFC. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next. I think now that he's got the, uh, I suppose, the first one out of the way, especially being a big one, um, flying at home uh, in England at that Manchester card, uh, I'm sure he can now just kind of settle down um, and get into the swing of things. Um, and he's one of those fighters. Um, he's got some spunk to him. He's got some personality. Um, aesthetically, he's very memorable with the with the bond streak going through his hair. Um, but you know, he's now going to start to you know rack up these performances and start to make a, a name for himself in what is the Shark Tank of the UFC, the UFC's lightweight division. Um, but apart from that, I mean, looking at the top of the card, you know, Derek Lewis versus Shamil Abdurakhimov. Um, I think this is just a, a, a nicely teed up showcase fight for Derek Lewis. I mean, you don't normally have a 2-1 record in the UFC and then all of a sudden get placed into a main event. But that's what's happened here with Abdurakimov. Um, but I think what they've done here, the UFC, is they've, they've noticed that Derek Lewis has had a massive cult following just for his social media and um he's been one of the the true stars of the ufc this year the breakthrough stars um not just because of his performance in the octagon uh but from some of his amazing tweets and in instagram posts and um and i'm really looking forward to this fight he's coming off of, of four straight wins um the most recent being um, a split decision to roy nelson but prior to that um, he's had uh, knockout and TKO victories um, against Gabriel Gonzaga, Damian Grabowski, and Victor Peshta. Um, so I think you know he gets another one. That'll be five in a row in uh, in the UFC's heavyweight division, which is no mean feat in itself. And then I'm sure he can kick off from there, and then perhaps put together some sort of run in 2017 where he can maybe become um, a potential title contender. So um, so that's the first one, Simon. That's UFC fight night albany and then and then 24 hours later the ufc returns to the much talked about much discussed much in the in the headlines ufc 206 which has a new main event which was announced about a week ago now uh, you've got max holloway 
and Anthony Showtime Pettis uh, fighting for the interim featherweight championship. Um, I suppose, first of all, so I mean, we've already talked to death uh, about this whole interim featherweight title situation, um, but I suppose just getting down to, to brass tacks here, what do you make of the actual fight? How do you see the fight playing out? Um, yeah, give me give me your thoughts on, on who you think is going to come out on top there. Well, first off, I thought we were going to get an even, uh, like another main event. If you watch BT Sport this week... Oh, yeah. Um, and, and you tweeted it. Um, I did. I think you might have been the first one to put it out there, and uh, you were absolutely spot on. The uh, Sure enough, UFC 206, live from Toronto. I think they're showing it on BT Sport 3 which might be a first. So if you uh, do do what I'm going to do after this show and check your series link and make sure that you've got that show scheduled to record because they normally put the shows on BT Sport 2. This one, I believe the, uh, the slate said BT Sport 3. So please do check your listings, check your TiVo, your Sky Plus box, whatever it is you use to record the show uh, to make sure you don't miss out on this. But, but, Mr. Sandu, it yes. looked... It looked for a minute like little brother Sergio had been thrust three weight classes up or two weight classes up <laughs> to take on Max Holloway. Um, the uh, the guys that the guys who did the graphics at BT Sport uh, made a little bit of a whoopsie when it comes to uh, putting the right Petty's brother in in the uh, on 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 the poster, so to speak. So I'm sure that has been addressed, and we will see uh, Anthony on there where he belongs. Um, as for the fight itself. Um, I, I love the matchup. I, I think it's a great matchup. I, I've always been a big, a bigger more of Anthony Pettis' fighting style. Um, but as time has gone on, he's he looks to have just sort of gone off the boil a little bit. I don't know what it is, um, but something just hasn't been quite right with him um, ever since ever since he lost the belt to to uh, Rafael dos Anjos. Uh, it, it, we just haven't seen that same Showtime. Anthony Pettis that we're so used to watching. So fingers crossed we're going to see that again. He came back uh, as a featherweight, looked very, very good against Charles Oliveira, um, submitted him, which uh, tells you everything you need to know about the guy's grappling ability because Charles Oliveira is legit uh, on, on, on the floor. But for me, Max Holloway is is, is really the coming man. I think he, he deserved to be fighting Jose Aldo. I think the reason he's fighting Pettis is because the fight came too early for Aldo. He wanted more time off. Um, so we've got this situation where Holloway and Pettis are now fighting for an interim championship, which Conor McGregor very kindly um, relinquished, if you uh, believe everything that the UFC tells you. So so there we go. I, th- I think it's a good fight. If you're making me pick a winner, I'd be picking Max Holloway to win it because I just think he's more... Especially if you're gambling on this fight, I think you want to know that your money's got a chance and you know the way Max Holloway fights, he always brings it every single time. Anthony Pettis is one of these, he reminds me a little bit of a, a sort of a luxury player in football. Someone like Matt Letizia or someone like that. Sometimes they're on their game and they're just unplayable. They're absolutely brilliant. There's no one to touch them. But then they have, you know, they'll have an off week and then they'll have another off week. And then you, you're always watching them, hoping they can reproduce the magic. And uh, I, I do think that that Showtime kick from Anthony Pettis way back when he fought Benson, Hen- Benson Henderson in the final WEC event, that has almost weighed around his neck like a millstone, I think. People are just expecting that for him every single time. Sort of using the football reference again. 
John Barnes used to get it for England. He scored this wonder goal in the Maracan R against Brazil where he went past about eight Brazilian defenders and scored. one. Of, it's one of the greatest solo goals I've ever seen. And then there was this level of expectation for him to do it every single time he stepped on a pitch. It was just unrealistic. And it's, I think there's a little bit of that with Showtime Pettis, but he has definitely just dropped off the ball a little bit. Came back against Oliveira. Um, I think we're going to see a great fight, but my money's going to be on, on Max Holloway for that fight. I just think he's he's a little bit more reliable. He's going to he's going to outstrike Pettis for volume, and I think he's got enough savvy to keep the fight standing and win win probably a decision. But it's going to be one hell of a fight. What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I can't wait for this fight. I mean, if you just take again like this whole interim title stuff uh, out out of the picture, I mean, the overall card isn't too bad, you know. In in terms of pay per views, have we seen better yet? Of course, but there's some real there's some real star power on on this fight card. You got Cerrone, you got uh, we mentioned him before in regards to the MMA AAA, uh, Jim Kennedy and Calvin Gastelum. That fight's finally taking place, and you got Cub Swanson against a Korean Superboy. Do Hoi Choi, who's a big fan favorite of everyone's at the moment, I think. But um, but keeping the the conversation just on that main event because it's been so you know talked about the last couple of weeks. I really really like Max Holloway. I think in the last I'd say year, but especially over the last couple of months, we've just noticed him turn the volume up on his personality. Is that he's he's taken it from like a six or a seven all the way up to a ten, especially the way he's been really going at Jose Aldo. I mean, that's a fight I'd pay to watch right now if they can make it happen. I mean, just the personal animosity he's got towards Jose Aldo from his point of view, ducking a fight with with him over the course of the last year. Um, it, it, you know, really kind of put some meat behind that particular fight. But until, you know, he gets past Anthony Pettis, that is still um, a fight that you can think about and dream of. Keeping the fight uh, or keeping discussion on the fight that's taking place this weekend, though, I really like Max Holloway here. I like the fact that he's been a career featherweight. This is his weight class. He's been looking better and better every time he comes out. The last loss he had was against Conor McGregor, and even that was a decision it's not as if he's been getting knocked out or submitted um you know this weight class you know he's 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 really comfortable in um and he feels it looks he looks like he's just getting you know um a little bit more muscular a little bit stronger he's growing into his body um he's really coming into his own in terms of his athletic ability um but he's got a real real big challenge in front of him um when it comes to anthony pettis i mean his skill set speaks for himself you mentioned the 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 uh, the flying off the wall um, kick, um, but aside from that, he's a really well accomplished all round mixed martial artist. Now the only thing, the only asterisk that I put on Anthony Pettis coming into this fight is that I think he needed, for me anyway, just to be a bit more comfortable. Um, he needed one more fight, by the way. I mean, his last fight against Charles Oliveira, that was his very first fight, by the way. So I think he's still perhaps getting used to the weight class and uh, understanding how best to cut down to that um, weight limit of 145 or, you know, with the one pound weight um, limit um, uh, extension, um, one, 146 pounds. But he he hasn't, I don't think, looked physically like he's comfortable at that weight class and i'm only going on one fight so we'll see what it looks like later on this week um but it'll be interesting to see how his body um holds up in a five round fight it's one thing you know cutting down to a new weight class and fighting a three-round fight um but it's a whole other ball game going into those championship rounds um and i think max holloway 
um, is going to take advantage of that. I think he'll win by decision like you do, Sai, and I think it will be in that third, fourth, and fifth round where you'll st- start to see him really take control of the fight. So I just don't think Anthony Pettis... Um, I don't know what it is, Simon. I agree with you. Can't put my finger on it, uh, but he just doesn't seem to have shown um, his maximum potential capability like he did a few years ago. Yeah, when he's on, he's really on. And uh, if if he's on on Saturday night, we're going to have one barn burner of a fight with Max Holloway, who is who is always always full throttle when he gets in, into the octagon. Uh, we had that iconic moment with uh, him and Ricardo Lamas right at the end of the fight where. They planted their feet. He pointed to the floor and said, "Let's just swing." And it was it was absolutely brilliant. It was one of the moments of the year. Uh, co-main event: Donald Cowboy Cerrone taking on Matt Brown at 170 pounds. If you're a fight fan and you're not excited about this fight, then check your pulse because this is this is this is just going to be fireworks from the minute they touch gloves, isn't it? It certainly is. And Donald Cerrone has looked like a completely new fighter since he moved to welterweight. Um, he's got a win over uh, Alex Oliveira, the other cowboy, the Brazilian cowboy, uh, Patrick Cote uh, and Rick Story, all three by way of a finish, one of them being a submission, the other two being a TKO. Now, he's fighting Matt Brown, and Matt Brown a few years ago was on this incredible win streak at welterweight. Um, but just recently, um, he's come up a little bit short, Simon. He is 1-4 and four in his last five. Um, his last couple of losses have come at the hands of Damian Meyer and Jake Ellenberger. Now, he is a fan favorite. He obviously has a fighting style that's very pleasing on the eye. Uh, but I, I do fear for him here. You know, um, another loss here um, to Cowboy. Um, if, if it's a submission or, 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 a, or a knockout, that that'll be pretty bad, Simon. That'll be three in a row. Now, I'm not I'm not going to say um, that he's you know potentially going to get cut if he loses. But, you know, the UFC are, you know, cutting costs and, you know, they may be able to trim the fat here and there in certain weight classes. I'm not sure. Um, but I'd be I'd be worried if I'm him. I'd be worried coming into this particular uh, fight week, <laughs> not just from the fact that you're fighting, you know, Cowboy Cerrone and he is a fire at the end. Of the day, so I'm sure he's got that bit figured out. Um, but in terms of his long term progression within the UFC. Um, so, so it's going to be a barn burner of the fight, I'm, I'm no doubt. Has he got the tools to beat Cowboy? Absolutely. But I just feel as though Cowboy, um, without having to cut down to 155 pounds, just looks so much more healthier at welterweight. And I think there's a massive, that's the main reason, the main component why we've seen him pretty much look at his, uh, his absolute best his last couple of outings. Yeah, totally agree. And, and uh, Cowboy Cerrone, take a look at his record, it's ridiculous. Just listen to this list of names, right? Evan Dunham, Adriano Martins, Edson Barboza, Jim Miller, Eddie Alvarez, Miles Jury, Benson Henderson, John McDessey, Alex Oliveira, Patrick Cote, and Rick Story. He has beaten each and every one of them. Um, and uh, the only fight he's had in, in amongst all that that he didn't win was against the, uh, the UFC lightweight champion of the world, as he was at the time, Rafael Dos Anjos. Donald Cowboy Cerrone's record is just ridiculous. You know, he's been in there with a who's who at 155. And now he's moved up to welterweight. He's taken on three seasoned guys in Oliveira, Cote and Story. He's picked up performance of the night bonuses in each of those three fights. And he's finished all three of them. So he, he's, he's really in a sweet spot right now in terms of his form. 
I think he's really loving life at 170. He's not having to having to dry himself out to get to 155. And uh, against Matt Brown, he's gonna he's gonna find someone who's more than prepared to stand in front of him and trade shots. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that fight. If I was a betting man, um, and I very occasionally am, cowboy, cowboy, obviously you have to go with a form horse on this one. But Matt Brown is a dangerous, dangerous man. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. However, that one goes. But the fight I am looking forward to the most on this fight card, Mr. Sandu, is mm. the next one on the card. Cub Swanson, Duho Choi, uh, Killer Cub versus the Korean Superboy. Uh, this could be the coming out party for Duho Choi. Swanson has been around the game for a long, long time. And uh, he's universally liked and respected. He's a, he's a real technician of the game. He's on a two-fight win streak. He's only his only recent losses have come against Frankie Edgar and Max Holloway, so you know there's nothing much to nothing much to cry about there. But he's up there. He's now going to be the. He's almost at gatekeeper status at this point. He's taking on Duho Choi, and Duho Choi looks like a middle school pupil, but hits like a middleweight boxer. You know, he just knocks people out, and and having watched him for, for uh, first person. I watched him against oh, Crocky Tiago Tavares, I think it was, in in Vegas, and Tiago Tavares looks like a mixed martial artist. He looks your stereotypical, big, strong, muscular. Looks like he's been around a bit, and then you got Duho Choi who walks in there. Looks like he's been literally been dragged off the school bus, and Duho Choi starches him, and it's, it was it was it was incredible to see. We all thought it might happen, but when you see it in person, it, it, it's it's it really is remarkable to see. And uh, the question mark now is, where's the ceiling for this guy? How high How high up can he get in that UFC featherweight division? Because he's got the power to knock anybody out. Can he do it to Cub Swanson? If he does, then you're looking at a new contender, I reckon. What do you make of it? 100%. And, you know, sometimes, Simon, I think it's a little chipping for some of the, the fighters that come out of Asia or any non-English King, uh, language country uh, because obviously the, you know the UFC um, as a promotion or a, or, a, or a fight league is definitely geared towards um, the North American um, market um, and obviously here in Europe a lot of it's kind of geared towards uh, the UK and Irish market as well but you know it's, it's very challenging for fighters to um, try and get their personality across and God bless him, he hasn't needed to do any sort of um, gimmicky catchphrase type of promotion whatsoever. I mean, f- albeit he's got Superboy in his, as, a, as a nickname, he's really been able to, I suppose, capture everyone's imagination just by his performances in the Octagon, which is, uh, in 2016, a, a rare thing uh, to accomplish. And, and again, I go back to meritocracy. This guy, he's 15-1. and one. Now, He hasn't lost. Um, I'm looking at his record right now. The last time he lost was back in 2010, you know, and, and when he wins, Simon, he wins by knockout. Like, um, I think it, over the course of the last six years, you know, he's had one uh, fight go to decision. Other than that, he has finished, uh, or sorry, two fights gone to decision. Other than that, every other fight, he's he's won by knockout TKO. So this is an action fighter. Um, he really packs some serious TNT in those left and right hands. 
Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing him uh, in action on Saturday night. And yeah, I agree. I think Cub Swanson, he might be in gatekeeper status right now. But if Duho Choi can get a, a victory over Cub Swanson, that's a, a massive name, a massive scalp. Um, and, uh, you know, a nice little uh, promo after that um, or, or some or some good interviews following a win over Cub Swanson. And then you can really make a case um, for this kid to really kind of make, uh, uh, you know, uh, get get up there um, within the rankings. And uh, perhaps, you know, we could see another uh, potential you know star on the rise and, and get a title shot in the next 18 months or so. Three fights in the UFC. Three first-round knockouts. And if you mm-hmm. total the time spent in the octagon across those three fights, he fits all of those into one round. Four minutes, 33 seconds he's had in the octagon in uh, in the UFC. Three knockouts, two performance of the night bonuses, and he's gunning for Cub Swanson on Saturday night. I cannot wait to watch Cub Swanson versus Duho Choi. Tim Kennedy, we mentioned him earlier on here on the Brit Pack. He's in action at last. He, did, he should have been fighting in New York against Rashad Evans. Rashad Evans, unfortunately for him, couldn't pass the medical tests, so that fight was scrapped. He was then due to fight Rashad this weekend at UFC 206. Again, Rashad didn't pass the medicals. So Kelvin Gastelum, who also was supposed to fight in New York but failed to make weight, um, he has now been bumped up from welterweight to middleweight, which I think is uh, is, is common sense. He probably needs to operate at 185 now. And uh, they're going to fight each other. Tim Kennedy, Kelvin Gastelum. That, for me, is a fascinating contest. We've got uh, a seasoned strike force veteran who is right up there in that UFC middleweight division. Doesn't often get talked about as being a, a, a top championship contender, but he's just below. He's just below that, that, that group at the very top. If you drew a line under Gegard Mousasi, he'd probably be the next guy. So, so he he's really right up there with a with a probably one or two big wins away from being considered a top contender. Gastelum won the Ultimate Fighter, looked excellent at welterweight, but just can't can't seem to uh, shake off the issue with with weight cuts. He's now going to fight at middleweight. Uh, it's a fascinating contest. He's a durable guy. He's got good wrestling, hits hard. Tim Kennedy, durable guy, good wrestling, hits hard. Who's your money on, Sandu? My money's on um, Tim Kennedy, Simon. And I'll tell you why. I just feel as though he's a man possessed. I think he was supposed to... I mean, he was basically, you know, without officially saying it, he was almost in a self-imposed retirement. He had no interest... Uh, to come back and fight, he's he's been doing this TV show, um, looking uh, what's it called looking for Hitler or killing Hitler hunting or hunting Hitler, hunting Hitler. There you go. Uh, for I think it's uh, the History Channel. Yeah. Um. Um. He's been obviously still on duty. Um. With the with the U.S. forces. Um. So I don't think he had any any intention of returning to uh, the UFC to fight again. And then all of a sudden he got this call to hey. Um, you know, how about Rashad Evans? Ooh, I like the sound of that. That's a massive fight. Where is that going to take place? Uh, Madison Square Garden for the UFC's debut in, in New York City. That got his kind of, uh, you know, the butterflies going in his stomach and he was really up for it. And it was such a shame um, when that fight, you know, that fight fell apart. Um, it obviously got moved to 206 and then, you know, things capitulated at the top end of that card with the Cormier-Johnson fight being scrapped. So, you know, now he's got Kelvin Gastelum, 
Um, you know, hopefully Kelvin Gastelum can make 185 pounds. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be astonished if he can't do that. Uh, and that's probably going to be grounds for, you know, probably getting cut from the UFC if he can't do that. But um, I feel as though the fact that he was supposed to fight um, at 205, he's now had to carry that camp over almost a, a little bit longer into 206. He's got this whole thing going on by being the leader almost and the spokesperson or the most vocal at least of the Mixed Martial Arts Athletes Association. So I think he's the one that's determined. He's the one that's got you know some things to do and some things to say at the event this week. Whereas Kelvin Gastelum, he's not really you know got the MMA community on his side. Um, I don't know where his motivation levels are right now. Um, so I'm picking um, I'm picking uh, Tim Kennedy to get the the, the job done uh, against Kelvin Gastelum on Saturday night. I think it's a coin flip. I really do. I think Gastelum is. I think Gastelum was one or two wins away from being a legit contender at the top of that 170 pound division, but he kind of got in his own way a little bit. So at 185, he's going to be he's going to be big and strong. He's built like a fire hydrant, so he's not going to be. He's not going to be the tallest and rangiest guy at 185, but he's going to be very difficult to deal with. He's going to be very powerful. Um, so, an elite level striker, I think, would probably have a, a good advantage if if he went up against someone, you know, like a rock hold, someone who's got that good rangy striking and decent footwork. But um, against Kennedy, it's kind of like for like. Um, so, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm leaning towards Tim Kennedy as well, um, but I, I'm certainly not ruling out Gasolin for this. I think it's, as I say, I think it's a coin flip fight, and it's one I'm really looking forward to watching. We've got plenty of other interesting bouts on the card. We'll just quickly whiz through the card just so you know who's on. Uh, Jordan Meehan is making his his comeback, having retired about 18 months ago, I believe, taking on Emil Weber Meek, who is about to make his UFC debut. Uh, Nikita Krilov takes on. Misha Serkinov, that'll be a good fight at light heavyweight. Make sure you watch that. Olivier Urban Mercier on home soil against Drew Dober. Valerie Letourneau also on home soil against Vivian Pereira. Mitch Gagnon, another Canadian fighter against Matthew Lopez. Macdessy, John the Bull Macdessy against Lando Venata. That is going to be a belter. That is the featured fight past prelim for that, for that fight card over there in Toronto. Jason Sago uh, has got the toughest test of his UFC career today, he takes on Rustam Habilov. Uh, we know quite a bit about Rustam Habilov here in Europe because he always seems to fight on the European fight night cards. Uh, he's not the most spectacular guy, but he's absolutely one of the hardest people to put away that I've seen at 155. He's just like, he's, he's been carved out of granite, that man, and uh, he's just relentless. So that, I think, will be an interesting fight. And opening the night will be uh, a fun flyweight contest between two two of the most exciting guys who are making their way up the ladder, who potentially one day could be a championship contender. Zach Funsize Mikovsky against Dustin Ortiz. That one kicks things off on Saturday night. That'll be on the Fight Pass Prelims, which I would assume kick off at about half past 11 UK time on UFC Fight Pass. If they fit the usual time zones, it'll be half 11 for Fight Pass. Then it'll be 1am for the, the TV prelims, 3am for the main card. But we've got a little bit of news about UFC 206, Sandu. We certainly do. So this has actually been um, a few months in the making. Um, I mean, me and Simon have been talking about it, and, and we're finally going to take up an offer that has been presented to us by Grosvenor Casino um, here in London. Now, 
they have one of their sites, which is the the casino in Russell Square. Um, and for the best part of, I want to say around six months, they've been hosting um, viewing parties um, for UFC pay-per-view events. And they've kindly asked the Brit Pack to come and join them at their next one, which is for UFC 206. So first of all, um, I'm sure me and Simon are plugging this throughout the week. Um, the location is the Grosvenor Casino in Russell Square. That is 61 to 66 Russell Square, London, WC1B5JS. Uh, but I'm sure if you guys just Google Grosvenor Casino, Russell Square, you'll be able to find it. So here's the deal. They have um, um, for eight ninety five um, a ticket which you can buy uh, through Eventbrite. And for eight ninety five you get a beer, a burger, and you get a bet in the casino. Uh, not only that, there's a there'll be a private room uh, that'll be showing uh, the entire card, um, so you can get together with friends. Um, we'll be me and Simon will be there. I think we're going to be recording a special episode of the Brit Pack, so there'll be an opportunity uh, for you guys to join us um, and get your thoughts as the the card plays out. But I just think this is fantastic. I mean, I'm not about you, Simon, but. I'm always getting hit up by fans, especially fans here in the London area, that are asking me, hey, is there anywhere I can watch the fight? Is there any pub or is there any bar that's holding a UFC party? Um, now, it's always been a little bit tricky because you know the UFC main events don't kick off till around 5, 6 o'clock in the morning. And that's where some of the bars and the pubs will run into problems of of, uh, of a legality there to kind of have um, you know alcohol going through until that early hours of the morning. That casino doesn't really have an issue there. It's pretty much open twenty four seven anyway. So here's an opportunity. Um, we're going to be there. Uh, we'll throw the link out. Um, throughout the week uh, it's first come first serve they only have an allocation i don't know what the exact number is but i know that they sold out for ufc 205 um, so they're going to have uh, an event for ufc 206 they're going to have an event for ufc 207 uh, and me and simon are going to be at these pay-per-view events at Grosvenor casino russell square so do come along and join us uh, buy a ticket um, and let them know that the reason you're going to be coming is due to the brit pack being there uh, that'll put us uh, in good favor with them uh, but yeah simon that is the big announcement it's going to be good fun it's going to be good fun i mean whether any sport any sport you happen to be interested in being there is obviously the best the best possible scenario if you can actually have a ticket for the event and be sat there to watch it live, then that's obviously the number one thing. The number two thing for me, if you can't be there, be amongst a group of friends or be amongst a group of people, like-minded people in a bar or you know, in a, in a private members club as this is going to be, um, and just enjoy the fights in some sort of uh, communal atmosphere. It adds, adds the extra buzz. You know, you might not be overly interested by Olivier Oban Mercier versus Drew Dober. But if you're watching it and you've got a few quid on it and there's maybe 50, 60, 70 other people in the room with you watching it and they've all got a few quid on it, all of a sudden it gets a little bit more interesting. So this is this is what it's all about, getting together and uh, watching some fights. And uh, it would be nice to meet a few, a few Brit Pack listeners if any of you are, are planning on coming along. And uh, if you are thinking about it, uh, as, as Sandu says... Keep an eye on our on our social media in the coming days. We will be we will be putting out information via there, 
and via the Britpack website, thebritpackmma.com. So please do check those out. We'll get all the information out to you as the week progresses. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see some of you on fight night. And uh, you never know, we might even get one or two of you on the show. So, so there we go. That's a nice little, a nice little way to round things off uh, here on the Britpack episode number 19. There's only one more thing to do, Sandu, and that's to uh, go to the Q&A, my man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's always our favourite segment of the show. Uh, once again, uh, like every week, we just want to thank everyone for tweeting us their questions. Um, we say it every week, but just to remind you, uh, you don't have to wait until you put the call to action out on a Monday morning or a Monday lunchtime. Feel free, as the week goes on or during fight night, to tweet us the Brit Pack MMA with any of your burning questions, and we'll make sure we'll try and get through as many of them as humanly possible during the show. So uh, with that being said, uh, the first question, Simon, comes in from Nat Ratch, who says, do you think if Max becomes champion, then Connor will come back to 145? Now, I personally don't think that'll happen. I think if Connor McGregor is ever going to come back uh, to 145 pounds, there's a few different scenarios of it happening. It could perhaps be if he loses his lightweight championship in the future, and perhaps Aldo's uh, the champion. That's obviously a massive rematch uh, there that they can build up to. Um, I could perhaps see if if Anthony Pettis can can work his way through Max Holloway and Jose Aldo, and then calls out Conor McGregor and says, "Hey, I'm the best 145 pounds." You haven't beaten me. You may have beaten Max Holloway. You may have beaten Jose Aldo, but you haven't beaten me. Um, I think Conor McGregor might potentially be tempted, and that would be a spectacular fight with two massive marquee name value fighters. I'm not sure, though, if Max Holloway becomes champion, that will be the thing or that will be the fight or fighter that will you know, tempt Conor to come back because he could just simply say, I've already beaten him. I'm, I'm, I've already kind of uh, done the business on Max Holloway uh, and I'm not interested in that fight anymore. Simon, what do you think? Do you think if Max becomes champion, he can do enough to uh, to, to tempt Conor to come back to 145? I'll be honest, I don't think anyone can do enough to tempt Conor back to 145, I think. I think the days of Conor fighting at Featherweight are done. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just don't see him going back there. I thought the only scenario that would have seen him potentially go back there was if he'd lost... The uh, the main event at UFC 205 to to Eddie Alvarez, and then that kind of would have forced his hand a little bit because that would have been the only belt that he had available to him. Now, the, it's kind of reversed now. So the only belt he has available to him now is the 155 pound belt. And if you look at the potential fights that are available for him at 155, you could argue they're 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 the more interesting, lucrative fights. I mean, a, a rematch with Max Holloway would be a good fight to watch. But we have seen Conor McGregor versus Max Holloway before. If you're given the straight choice between watching Conor and Max Holloway or Conor and Khabib Nurmagomedov, I'm pretty sure most people would pick the Khabib fight. I think, and arguably, they might do the same if it was Tony Ferguson. Um, I just think, I think there are more interesting new matchups. I think Max. I think Max would give Conor one hell of a fight second time round, just as I think Jose Aldo would give Conor one hell of a fight second time round. But the big thing here is the the amount of money that that fight would draw, and the fact that he'd have to fight at 145 pounds. I just I don't think there's enough in it for him to justify making the move down. If he didn't have a belt at 155, yeah, maybe. But now now he's the lightweight champion. 
He's got quite literally bigger fish to fry. I think he stays at 155 and maybe even looks at, as a little cheeky look at Tyron Woodley at 170 as well. Graham Hughes tweets in and says, Rousey has been silent since the home fight. Do you guys think she'll look to get back to grappling against Nunes? Simon, I'll let you have that one first. Absolutely she will. That's a, that's a, that's a bread and butter, I think. I think she's also working with Ricky Lundell right now. That's what I heard. Um, and uh, Ricky Lundell is one, of, is one of the best one of the best coaches out out there in the states at tra- sort of working working grappling into an MMA game. So I think he would he will be working wonders with her. I think Ronda working with any of those major coaches in America is only going to see the benefit. So assuming that she's been working extensively with the likes of Ricky Lundell, I think I think she, she she'll come into it in in superb condition and probably more dangerous than she was when she walked into the Holly Holm fight. So, but yeah. It, She's not going to look to stand and trade with with Amanda Nunes. That would be career suicide to do that. Amanda Nunes hits ridiculously hard. Just ask Misha Tate about that. She's been in there with a who's who of that division, uh, and you know she said that Amanda Nunes has hit her as hard as anyone. So, I think it would be it makes sense to me if you're Ronda Rousey, you want Nunes to come flying out straight at you, um, and then all you do is you step in, close the distance, get your hands on her, and uh, throw her to the mat. And I think that that's going to be the plan for Ronda. But she's going to be up against a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, so it's not going to be plain sailing. Um, but I think that that is the clear route to victory for Ronda. If if she's going to get it done, she's got to go back to her bread and butter. She's got to go back to her judo. Um, so so that's, that, that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, I completely agree. Going back to uh, what you said about Ricky Lundell, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I've had the opportunity to be out there in Vegas and speak to him on a few occasions and interview him. I've kind of almost dubbed him the Jose Mourinho of of MMA coaches. And the reason why is because he kind of almost cut short his athletic career or his professional athletic career so that he can be you know so that he could become a coach and he has he put so much thought and statistics and paperwork and research uh, into so many different aspects of a fight and and when you speak to him it's it's amazing some of the information he can reel off from, from the top of his dome so he's definitely a coach that i think people should keep an eye out on uh someone that will definitely kind of get better as he kind of you know you know starts to work with a lot more fighters i think previously he's you know worked with frank Mir, um, he's worked with carlos condit and like you said now he's working with ronda rousey uh, but going in t- going back to um in terms of her fight strategy she's got to go back to her bread and butter simon she needs to go back to her judo she needs to just try and lock in that armbar and get the job done as soon as possible i think she got a little bit too confident in her her ability or in her perceived ability uh to be a striker and be able to and to be able to box and and obviously we saw you know what happened in that holly home fight um i think she needs to go back to what she does best uh, and that will be her best route to victory there totally agree right so the people's hero tweets in and says what do you feel about the ufc firing chuck liddell and matt hughes so i don't think they were technically fired but there was a story that came out this week that UFC had kind of almost let them go, or at least WMEIMG had uh, let them go. This was a part of um, the the kind of the ongoing cull of, of UFC employees to cut the wage bill. Um, now, I mean, I don't know how I feel about it too much. I think we all kind of pretty much knew that Liddell and Hughes um, were pretty much 
um, on the UFC wage bill just because they were part of the old old boys club, Simon. You know, they're really good friends with with uh, with UFC president Dana White. Um, he always thought that these were the fighters that helped build the brand and helped build the promotion um, in the uh, in the, the dark ages, so to speak, or when the the sport was kind of really coming into its own and the UFC itself were coming into its own. So they got kind of like um, almost like a nice little uh, pension plan. By slapping a, a fancy job title on there and getting a monthly uh, a monthly paycheck, um, that is no longer the case. I am sure financially they are perfectly fine, and I'm sure they'll still be relevant, um, uh, you know, in some way, shape, or fo- form within our little MMA bubble. Um, but that was one of the news stories that came out this week. What was your reaction, Simon? Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't wholly surprising. I've got to be honest. I think these guys are pretty ruthless, and they are they are trimming. I was going to say trimming the fat, but that's almost a disrespectful way to, to put it. What they're doing, they are cutting costs wherever they can. Um, the Albany event that's taking place on Friday night, there's no ceremonial weigh-ins happening. They're not going to have a ceremonial weigh-in event. So um, that may well be an ongoing thing for some of the smaller cards, maybe the fight night cards going forward. So look out for that as well. They're, they're, they are looking to run as lean a ship as possible. So... Anybody who's on a on a wage who they feel that they can either absorb those talents in house, um, they've they've let those people go. Um, what they've and obviously what they've done in this case is they've looked at the job and said we don't need people to do that job. So so they've let those people go. It's 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 never ever nice when you get let go like that. And it's one of those things you just have to you know you don't have much control over it. You just have to crack on. And uh, I'm sure. Someone with the name recognition of Chuck Liddell and, and Matt Hughes, you'd like to think they'll be okay. You also hope that they've invested wisely during their careers as well, so they've got a nice little nest egg already. Um, I don't know, has, has Forrest Griffin been let go as well? Because sh- he's in kind of a similar position. But I know they use him a little bit more in terms of their digital output and stuff like that. So I don't know whether they've kept him around or not. Do you know? I, I think they have kept him around, Simon. And I, and I think out of the bunch, he is the one that really kind of went all in on this role. Um, he's been traveling a lot with the UFC. We've seen him in the European circuit a hell of a lot over the last couple of years. Um, and you're right, he does do a lot of presenting work. Um, and I guess when you have a, an over-the-top service like UFC Fight Pass, um, you need as much um, content for that streaming service as possible, and he is part of that machine. So I think for the time being, uh, Forrest Griffin should be okay. Yeah, he, he does the rankings report with uh, Matt Perino. Um, I think he does that. I don't think he does it every Monday, but it, it might be a monthly thing. But they uh, they certainly do regular updates on the ranking reports. And Forrest, Forrest is one of those guys who, whenever you see him around on Fight Week, you know you're always going to get a smile because he's he's just one of the funniest guys in the sport and uh, a legend as well. You know, number one, number one light heavyweight back in the day, former world champion. Ultimate fighter winner from the original series. You know he's he's got a very very special place in the sport, and uh, whether they let him go or keep him on, he's always going to be thought of very fondly within within a little bubble that we operate in. That's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, the next question comes in from Stuart Tuckwell, and he says or he asks. After dominating performance on Saturday, would a win against Mike Wilkinson get Brendan Lofton back in the UFC? So 
This is the Brit Pack, and of course, Brendan Laughlin. Um, he's coming off three wins, Simon, in 2016. Um, all of them um, via TKO or knockout. Um, his most recent fights have been for Tanko Fighting Championships. Um, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, his next fight will be against Mike Wilkinson. Um, like Stuart says here, for ACB. Um, and I think they've got a card coming up in Manchester uh, later on. Um, I think it's this month. It could be in January. I'm not entirely sure about that. But um, but listen, uh, Mike Wilkinson just got recently cut from the UFC, so um, he's almost got you know his UFC veteran stripes on. So I, I think so, Simon. What do you think? I, I think if Lofton can get a win over Mike Wilkinson, surely by now you know that'll make him what 13. If you can get a win over Mike, 13 and two. That's a, that's a pretty good record, and with the London card coming around in March, that could be very, very timely uh, to be coming off four wins in 2016 and get yourself on that London card. What are your thoughts? No, it's good. I, th- I think that's going to be a cracky fight. Brendan Lochnain and and, uh, and Mike Wilkinson, both those guys have got UFC experience. Uh, obviously, Brendan and Mike, were they in the same, same season as Tough? They might even I, have been on the same season as, as, as of, of, uh, of, of the Tough, Smashes. The Smashes. I think they were both on that season together. Um, yeah. And uh, they're going to be the co-main event at ACB 51, which takes place on Saturday, March the 11th at the, oh. Ma- at the Manchester Arena. So that is okay. a, that's going to be a big, a big week and a half or big two weeks for uh, mixed martial arts in the UK. So we've got a big, big show coming from, from uh, ACB. And the main event, by the way, is going to be uh, Kaladov, Versus Luke Barnett. Luke Barnett, of course, uh, we all know him, the big slow. Uh, been fighting over in Venator. He's now going to take on uh, Kaladov in the main event. And the uh, the co-main is going to be Lochname versus Wilkinson. That's March the 11th at the Manchester Arena. And, of course, on, of course, on March the 18th uh, in London, we're going to have UFC Fight Night. So that's going to be it's going to be a big couple of weeks. Who, I think if Brendan can get past Mike Wilkinson, he deserves a shot in the UFC. Yeah, why Why the hell not? I also think Mike Wilkinson, if he gets past Brendan Lockman, deserves another go in the UFC. So I think uh, I think whoever wins that fight has got a strong case. It's going to be an entertaining fight, and I'm looking forward to watching that one for sure. That's going to be, that's going to be a cracking fight. I don't know why I thought this ACB fight was going to be at some point this month. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. Um, it is going to be in March, which is a uh, bit of a shame. I thought maybe if he can try and get himself onto another uh, local or European show, um, you know, just before that London card, that maybe he could, you know, put put some you know feelers out to see if he can get on that London card. But as we know, Simon, having just been in Belfast, the UK um, is going to be hosting two UFC events next year. So um, he can't make the London card due to his uh, commitment to his ACB event. I'm sure there'll be another one just around the corner later on in 2017. Um, Richard Moore tweets in and says, who or how uh, determines the octagon size at events? I can't find the answer to myself. So the UFC deployed the, the smaller um, octagon this past weekend um, at the Palms in Las Vegas. And to be honest, Simon, I mean, from, from my knowledge, it just goes down to uh, uh, the, the size of the arena. You know, um, the, the, the Palms holds, I think, just over 2,000 in maximum capacity. So, you know, you're not going to deploy the big octagon um, in that you know in that particular venue, um, so I think that's pretty much the the main reason. Sometimes if they're having two events on the same day, 
um, that's been an issue where perhaps the the bigger octagon is in one country uh, or one city and then the other octagon, uh, which is a smaller one, is in the other one. But I believe over the last couple of years, they've got a big octagon now um, sitting firmly for the European shows and the and the, the Asian shows and, and in Brazil as well. Yeah, that's right. I think they've got four or five of them now. I think they've got yeah. one in Australia, they've got one in Asia, they've got one in... Uh, they've certainly got one in Europe and... Uh, They've probably got one or two in, in, uh, in the Americas somewhere. But yeah, I, as far as I'm aware, it is purely down to the, uh, the floor space available in the arena. Um, when you've got a tight, compact environment like that, you need, you need a slightly smaller cage. So, so that's what they go with. Um, it's interesting. I was, I was talking to uh, an American uh, radio journalist during the fights, and he, he commented that he couldn't think of too many other sports where the playing area varies like that. Um, but I, I, I pointed out that it actually happens more often than people realise. Take professional football as an example. Um, the foot, a football pitch does not have to be identical dimensions every time you play. It's got to be between 100 and 150 yards long and between 50 and 100 yards wide. So you play at Manchester United and then you go and play at Manchester City. There, I, I do believe the pitches are different dimensions. So you do get it. Um, I think in fight sports it makes sense for it to be a uniform size, but some of these smaller shows, you know, they 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 just, you know, they they basically allow the UFC to put a few more events on, uh, sort of a, a relatively cost-effective way. We saw it during uh, Fight Week last year, where we had uh, the triple header with uh, we had two events at the Cosmopolitan, which was a, a very small venue, about twelve hundred fifteen hundred capacity in there. And then we had the big one in the MGM Grand, so it's 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 something that they do when they need to. But in the main, they like to they like to go for those the, the, those events in the big cage wherever possible. Our good friend Liam Hap from Yahoo Sports uh, tweets and, and says, "Which city that hasn't yet hosted a major MMA event would you love to see st- um, stage a UFC or Bellator card?" Oh, but, I, lo- I love this question. I saw this one. Go on, I'll go on, go on, I'll let you go first. Well, I think Simon, we might be both in agreement here where coming off that Belfast card, we'd love to see the UFC go to Wales. What do you think, right? Cardiff was my answer, mate. Cardiff was my answer. Yep. And and obviously we don't wanna we you know, we need to walk before we can run here. But at some point in the next three years, let's say, I would love to see a pay per view level show with maybe two world championships on it at the Millennium Stadium with the roof shut. I think that atmos- be amazing. the atmosphere that would be generated in that building would be absolutely phenomenal. I think the I think there's a fan base down there. I had a good chat with uh, with Brett Johns and Jack Marshman this week and uh, they were they were both adamant that you know the the country of Wales is ready. It's just down to the UFC to put the shows on. Put the show was it build it and they will come. Book it and they will come. And that's that's pretty much how it's going to be. And we've got some up and coming Welsh talent working their way through as well, which is great to see. Uh, and that only makes those sorts of decisions all the easier to make to know that you've got local guys who you can put on that card. So, yeah, from a from a UK perspective, absolutely, absolutely, let's go to Cardiff and put a show on in Cardiff. Um, anywhere else? Uh, yeah, Mallorca would be kind of nice, or UFC Fight Night Ibiza. How about that? <laughs> let's, 
UFC Fight Night Cyprus. How about that? <laughs> yeah. We can use a small cage for that one. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But yeah, any anywhere like that would be kind of cool. But um, but no, all, all, all kidding aside, Cardiff Cardiff would be my pick definitely. Yeah, I, I, I was leaning towards the the Welsh con, uh, direction as well. There, um, the final question comes in from Amir, who says, "Who do you think will fight on the UFC?" card in March and I believe we addressed this a few weeks ago I mean there's a few good options I think um, I mean from my point of view I think I'm leaning towards my gut instinct telling me that they're going to go ahead with a Luke Rockhold gay guard Musashi main event um, Luke Rockhold has been you know one of those guest fighters that pop- has popped over to to Europe a few times he- he's going to need a big main event um, fight to put himself back into title contention and of course, we know that the Gagan Masasi is is a big favourite of the UFC uh, team here in London. Um, I mean, aside from that, um, I think it'll be a no-brainer uh, to put the likes of a Jimmy Manuel on the card if things go well this weekend and there's no long-term injury. I'm sure we'll get Mark Diakese on that card, and you know, I, I don't think we're going to get Michael Bisping because uh, obviously he's champion now. Um, but I'm sure they'll probably you know bring him down as, as, a, as a guest fighter for week and uh, and do a Q&A or something of the like but what do you think Sai uh, what's your thoughts um, on a potential main event and maybe one or two fighters you think we'll see pop up on that particular card yeah we did I, th- I, th- I think we spoke about it last week but yeah I, th- I think the fights you mentioned there make make a lot of sense the rock hold the rock hold fight in the main event would be uh, would, would, would make a lot of sense rock hold versus Musashi or rock hold versus um, Jacare but I think Musashi would be would be the more common sense pick Given that it would be here in in Europe, uh, it would be even more amusing if Michael Bisping was here as a guest fighter, just to add <laughs> extra extra spice and a little bit of aggro factor into proceedings. Just to know that they're going to be in there fighting and Bisping's going to be uh, Bisping's going to be knocking about the place. So that 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 would be kind of funny. If I could put in my my, my little request to the uh, the MMA gods or the matchmakers. Um, Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby. Let's have let's have Neil Seary versus Brad Pickett too. They're both going to retire, um, and I'm pretty sure that it'll be the both of their last fights. And the first fight between them was great. The second one won't be anything but great as well. Let's make the fight. Have two of the two of the real warriors of the sport from this side of the pond go head to head one more time. They they uh, they fought once before in what was series first fight uh, in the UFC at the O2 in London. So there's a nice symmetry to it as well. So uh, that would be my if I if I could if I could put just one tiny little request in that would be that would be my that would be my my uh, chosen matchup to stick on that card maybe a little bit further down but yeah I would absolutely have to have that fight on the card fantastic well that's the end of uh, this week's Q&A section and, and normally Simon we, we start talking about how we're going to recap the uh, the weekend's events next Monday but like we mentioned earlier on the show it'll be a, a special um, episode of the show next week where we're going to be recording it live casino side uh, on Saturday night um, at the, the Russell Square Grosvenor Casino. Um, so like we said earlier on the show, do come and join us. Tell your friends. Um, it's not uh, often that you have an opportunity to really kind of get your 
MMA crew and your friend, your MMA friends together uh, and actually go out to a venue that's hosting a party, especially in London. So if you're a Londoner, you live in central London or the greater London area, uh, or maybe even a little bit further up, but want to pop into town um, for the night, um, then then do check out. We'll be tweeting links where you can buy tickets. It's only eight ninety five. Uh, that includes a beer, that includes a burger, and that includes a bet. And and it, and it includes an opportunity to to watch UFC two hundred six in a, in a private viewing facility within the casino, and also hang out with me and Simon. So what more could you ask for, right? There you go. There you go. There is a suggestion that if uh, if we weren't there, tickets would be more expensive. But I'm I'm not having any of that. <laughs> so 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 there we go. Yeah, please do come along, join us. That's going to be good fun uh, next Saturday night. All that remains now is to wrap things up, let you know uh, all of our little bits of housekeeping. First thing, you guys asked and uh, we, we listened. I, I, put, I put my uh, MacBook to work and uh, we now have a YouTube channel. For those of you who wanted to uh, subscribe to uh, the podcast via YouTube, you can now do that. Um, the link to the YouTube site is on the website, which is thebritpackmma.com. Uh, eventually we will have a nice a nice tidy url for the youtube channel but for now all the while it's an alphanumeric mess uh make sure you get on the uh, on on the britpack website we will have all the links available to you on there of course you can subscribe via itunes you can subscribe via stitcher and acast we are also available of course on soundcloud uh, please do drop us a review uh, let us know what you think of the show. Uh, rate us up on uh, on, on iTunes, and uh, of course, with, with with the YouTube channel, we really benefit from likes and subscriptions and all the rest of it. It helps it helps push our channel out to other other MMA related channels as well. So um, even if you're listening to the show predominantly via one of the other channels, whether it be SoundCloud or iTunes or whatever, um, if you get the opportunity to jump on iTunes and just hit subscribe on our on our podcast channel on YouTube. That would really, really help us out a lot as we look to grow this show as we head into 2017. Uh, final thing from us, social media. Obviously, you can get us on, on Twitter, at Sandu MMA, at Simon Head, at the Britpack MMA. That's pretty much all we've got. That was show number 19, and uh, we're hitting a big milestone uh, in show number 20, and we're going to do it from a casino. I don't think there's a better way to do it, to be fair. Enjoy the fights next weekend, uh, hopefully in our company as well. We'll speak to you soon, and we'll speak to you next week.